John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is where we are at this morning. Uh, John chapter 12. How should those who are captivated by Jesus live? Uh, we've been talking about being captivated by Jesus. That is the, the name of this series, Captivated by Jesus. And, and we've been looking at, like, why should we be captivated by Jesus? And we've, we've seen all these different things that Jesus has done, all these different miracles that he has performed. We've learned who Jesus is, that he's the God-sent Savior, and all of these different things. But, but how should we live? How should those who are captivated by Jesus live? Well, that's what we're going to explore this morning from John chapter 12. Now, John chapter 12, we're going to look at the whole chapter, but we're not going to read the whole chapter to begin with. And so let's just read a, a selection of John chapter 12 just to get us into the text, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, skip down to verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to open your word, to hear from it, God, to freely do that. Um, God, we, we ask as, as we do this morning, as we walk through your text, that you, Lord, would help us to see what it looks like to be followers of Jesus and that you might work in our lives so that we would follow Jesus in a greater way from today forward. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember my first trip to the climbing wall. Um, I had just transferred to the University of Georgia. Yes, I grew up in Georgia. I lived in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, transferred about my junior year to the University of Georgia. And one of my friends, one of my really good friends, he I grew up with. I actually played Little League Baseball with him and went to school with him. And, and now we are going to be in college together. And, and he worked at the climbing wall. And, and he knew that, that I liked being outdoors. He knew that I liked kind of activities like that. And so he thought, you know, maybe Casey would like that. And so he invited me to the climbing wall to come and climb with him. And, and he was right. After the first day, I had, I had caught the climbing bug. Climbing completely captivated my life. 
You know, not only did I climb every day, but it was one of the things that I thought about often. Climbing, you see, wasn't just a thing that I did. It was a lifestyle that I lived. And I'm sure many of you have been captivated by something, or maybe you are captivated by something right now. Maybe that's cheerleading, or gymnastics, or hunting, or fishing, or baseball, or football, or playing golf, or a number of of different things. You know, we're all attracted to something. We all have activities that, that direct our life to a certain extent. And some of those, you know, we dive into those more than others. I'm typically one of those people that, that when something captivates me, I really dive into it, you know, and I really get into it big time. And you can ask my wife about that, right? And just really get into to things. Some of us do that. Some of us, not, not so much, but, but, but there's something. I know that there's something that, that you have latched onto. Everybody needs a hobby, Everybody is probably captivated by something. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, especially if these activities are put in their proper place. As long as, as you don't begin relying on these things to provide you with hope and meaning and, and satisfaction and, and ultimate joy in this life and ultimate purpose in this life, we're, we're doing okay. But if you begin to rely on these activities for those things, let me just say that, that they are going to leave you wanting for more, especially if, if, if you have reached this stage where you're not physically able to do some of these things any longer. And that's because lifestyle sports, I mean, they are not designed to meet our ultimate need. They're not designed to carry that weight for us. There's only one who, person who is designed to meet our ultimate need, to carry that weight in our life, to, have, to give us meaning and purpose and joy and ultimate satisfaction and ultimate fulfillment, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can do that for us. He is the resurrection and the life, as we looked at last week. He is the, the only one who can provide ultimate healing. He's the only one who can provide us with eternal life. He is the only one then that we should allow to completely and primarily captivate us. Just like those who are captivated by certain activities, certain lifestyles, just like they live, uh, you know, a certain way. Those who are captivated by Jesus should live a certain way as well. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, how should those who are captivated by Jesus live? How should those who are captivated by Jesus live? I'm going to give you three ways that we should live, and then I'm going to talk about how we can do that. So first, if we're captivated by Jesus, we should give ourselves completely to Him instead of taking from Him. We should give ourselves completely to Him instead of taking from Him. Chapter 12, it begins with, with them back in Bethany. Jesus is back in Bethany. He's just six days before the Passover is going to be taking place. And if you remember, the Passover is just this huge, huge celebration that took place every year to commemorate you know, God bringing the people out of Egypt in what is known as the Exodus event. And, and just six days before the Passover, Jesus is in Bethany. Jesus is having dinner with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the one whom... He is raised from the dead. And during that dinner, we learn in verse 3 that Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And what, what Mary did was both an act of humiliation as well as it was an act of commitment. It was an act of, of humiliation because touching someone's feet, especially touching someone's feet in public, was, was considered this degrading experience. It was, it was only meant for those who were the, the lowest of the low in society, those who were servants, those who were slaves. 
normally people didn't just go around touching other people's feet. The feet, though, the, and the, but, but Mary did. And Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And Mary actually doesn't just anoint his feet, but she wipes it with her hair. And so this is an act of, of humiliation on her part. It is, it is communicating that she has complete regard for Jesus. And not only does she show her regard by, by touching Jesus' feet in public, but she also communicates that by anointing his feet with her perfume. And the perfume that, that Mary was uh, anointing Jesus' feet with wasn't just some you know, cheap perfume that you might purchase at you know your your local convenience store or drugstore or something like that right I mean this was really really expensive expensive perfume it was it was made of pure nard and it wasn't just a little bit I mean she basically poured an entire pint like 12 ounces worth of perfume on Jesus's feet and it was very very expensive this perfume costs were told 300 denarii now, a denarii is a day's wage. And so this is 300 days wage. And you have to imagine how long it would take to save up 300 days wage. I mean, you have to eat yourself. You have to feed your family. You have things that you have to pay for. And so you're just putting a little bit back at a time over a long period of time. And then finally, you were able to, to purchase this expensive perfume. I mean, certainly this was a, a family heirloom. This is something that was passed down. Some commentators even think that this was meant to be a dowry gift for her marriage. But instead of saving it for a dowry, she, she uses it to anoint Jesus' feet. And, and what do we then, what do we make of what Mary did? I mean, here she is, they're just having dinner um, and she comes and, and just takes a super expensive perfume. It's probably a family heirloom, life savings. And she pours it on Jesus' feet right there in front of everybody and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. I mean, what do, we, what do we make of what Mary has done? Well, her actions show us that Jesus was greater than anyone or anything else to her. He was greater than her reputation. He was greater than her social status. He was greater than her life savings. He was greater than a future marriage to her. She was absolutely and completely captivated by Jesus. He meant everything to her. And so she gave of herself completely to Jesus. Now, in contrast to Mary, we have Judas. And Judas, Judas views Jesus completely different than Mary views Jesus. And so look at the text beginning in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to keep help himself to what was put into it. While Mary is captivated by Jesus, while, while this drives Mary to give of herself completely to Jesus... Judas is not captivated by Jesus at all. Judas is actually captivated by money. Instead of giving himself to Jesus, what Judas actually does is Judas takes from Jesus. Judas does not care about the poor. He, doesn't, he, he only balks at the fact that, that Mary did all of this because he wanted that money for himself. And he thought, man, if that money was in the money bag, think of how much extra money I could begin pulling out for myself. A whole lot more money. And so Judas didn't care about the poor. All Judas cared about was his own financial gain. 
John knew this, Jesus knew this, and this is why Jesus says in verse 7, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Not only does Jesus rebuke Judas here, but, but he uses this opportunity to point to what was about to come. You see, Jesus' hour is, is beginning to arrive. We, we've been talking about the idea that, that Jesus' hour is not yet here all throughout the Gospel of John. And we see that this is why he's been able to escape from the Pharisees and the chief priests and all of these people because he lays down his life. Nobody takes his life from him, but he lays down his life freely. And we see now that that hour is beginning to arrive. It, it is close by and Jesus begins to point to what is about to happen and you remember the hour talks about Jesus's death about his sacrifice and so he uses this act to point to his death as well as his burial he's being anointed by Mary for that and just as Mary gave himself completely to Jesus we we should be willing to do that as well. We should be willing to give ourselves completely to Jesus as well. You know, when we weigh our reputation, when we weigh our status, when we weigh our money, our material possessions against Jesus, Jesus should win out every single time. He is greater than anything that this world could ever, ever offer us. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the light that pushes back the darkness. Jesus is the water that quenches our eternal thirst forever. Nothing in this world, absolutely nothing in this world compares to Jesus. Jesus then should, should captivate us more than anything in this world should captivate us. And those who are captivated by Jesus, they should be then willing to give all for Jesus. They shouldn't be like Judas who, who looks and says, what can I gain from Jesus? Instead, they should be like Mary who looks and says, what can I give to Jesus? And that's how we should be. We should, what can we give to Jesus? Not what can we take from Jesus or what is Jesus going to give us? Jesus has already given us the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. Jesus has given us his life. Remember, his hour is about to come. Jesus has given us his life. And those who are connected to Jesus... We are buried with him. And then we are resurrected to a new life, an eternal life. We have a future kingdom to look forward to. Jesus has already given us more than we could ever imagine. And we don't even deserve what Jesus has given us. And so we should be willing to give Jesus everything, not looking to Jesus and saying, what can we gain from him? But what can we give to him? And that's the first way those who are captivated by Jesus should live. We should give ourselves completely to him instead of taking from him. The second way those who are captivated by Jesus and live is that we should praise and worship him instead of seeking our own glory. We should praise and worship Jesus instead of seeking our own glory. Last week we learned that, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and this wasn't some parlor trick. I mean Lazarus really was dead. Lazarus was in the grave for four days before Jesus brought him out. We learned from, from the last text that we looked at before our resurrection message last week that, that Lazarus' body had, had begun to decompose. Lazarus' body had begun to stink. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And by now, the word has gotten out. Certainly that, that, that Jesus has done this, that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And as a result, we see this large crowd has come to the feast. We see this in verse 
9. This large crowd of the Jews has, has learned about all of what is said. They learned that Jesus is there, and they are coming to Jesus on account of what Jesus has done for Lazarus, that he has raised him from the dead. And we learn in verse 12, the next day, the, the large crowd that had come to the feast, heard that, that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so this large crowd who has come on account of Lazarus, on account of what Jesus has done, he has raised this man from the dead. They come to Jerusalem. They, they, they know that Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem. They, they line the, the road and they take these palm trees and they... They put that out there. And they're screaming, they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. You see, they believe that Jesus is the Christ. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that he is the God sent Savior. They believe that he is the one who has come to rescue them. And so they praise and they worship him. Now, let me just pause here and just say for a moment that, that what they believed about Jesus is, is slightly different than, than what we should necessarily believe about Jesus, right? They still believed that Jesus was a political Messiah. That's what they believed about Jesus. They believed that he was coming as a, a conquering king, that he was going to ride in on his war horse as a hero who was going to liberate them from oppression from the Romans. And someone with this amazing power. I mean, he's able to raise the dead. Certainly, certainly he could liberate them from the Romans. And so they come out, they meet Jesus there. They're lining the streets there. They're waving these palm trees. They're, they're singing Hosanna. They're shouting Hosanna. This is what would happen when a victorious king would, would come back to battle and he would ride into town. And so they see Jesus as this victorious king who is going to ride in and who is going to save them. But look at what Jesus does. It is somewhat odd. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, Jesus' acts are, are completely unexpected. He, he doesn't come in riding on this war horse. Instead, Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. Not a chariot, but a donkey. That's what he comes riding in on. I mean, imagine this scene. The people, they, they, they know that Jesus is powerful. I mean, they have heard that he has raised this man from the dead. They know that he is absolutely powerful to liberate them. They go outside of the city. They're lining the streets. They've put down these palm branches to signify that this man who is coming is a hero. They're shouting Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. Save us now. And here comes Jesus riding in on this little donkey, not a chariot, not a, a war horse like would have been expected, but a little donkey Jesus comes riding in on. I mean, imagine seeing the scene. Imagine being there. Imagine your expectations being way up here, but then all of a sudden there, down here, it's like, what is Jesus doing? Why is he riding on this donkey? Well, we have to ask why. Why did Jesus come in riding on a donkey? 
Well, it means that Jesus is coming peace. Jesus has not come as this conquering warrior, at least not right now. Jesus has come to humble himself. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here through this act. I have come to humble myself. And seeing the crowd gathered to praise and worship Jesus, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, they become jealous. And this again is pointing to the fact of how Jesus is going to humble himself. Remember, Jesus is talking about this hour, this, this death that is coming. He is coming to, to humble himself. He's, he's coming as an upside-down king. He's coming bringing an upside-down kingdom, one where death equals life. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, they don't like it. They haven't liked it all the way up to this point, and so you, you wouldn't think anything different, but, but they don't like it. And so verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. I mean, Lazarus has, has already died. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Now he's got some people out to kill him. And then in verse 19, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees, the chief priests, they, they didn't like what was going on. Instead of worshiping Jesus, they're like, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to get rid of anybody who can attest to the fact of his power. We've got to stop people from worshiping him. We've got to stop his message from getting out. We have to silence the people. You see, they didn't care about Jesus' glory. They didn't care about God's glory. All they cared about was their own glory. It didn't matter that, that the miracles that Jesus did certainly pointed to him as the God-sent Savior, certainly pointed to him as the Messiah. It, none of that stuff mattered to them at all. The only thing that mattered was that the Christ did not look like what they expected him to look like. He wasn't going to be this conquering king who was going to free them. He was a humble hero who was going to give his life for the life of others. And on top of that, Jesus was coming in and Jesus was, was messing up their system. Remember, we talked about the idea that, that they, they worshipped a strong God. And they thought that they had to be a strong people who would follow him completely. They kind of had this system of, of works-based salvation. And Jesus is coming in and is saying, it's not about your work. It's not about your life. It's not about you being good. Instead, it's about me and my life and my sacrifice on your behalf. And they don't like that. Jesus is messing up their system. And, and what do people do when, when their system gets messed up? Well, they're like, we don't want that guy. We don't want him around anymore. We want to get rid of him. We want to put him away. And that's exactly what they're seeking to do. To get rid of anybody who might attest to Jesus' power and to get rid of Jesus himself so that they might maintain their own power. And what they're doing kind of reminds me of what the Chinese government's doing, right? The Chinese government, they are historically known as an atheistic government. And as a result, you know, Christians living in China, they, they are certainly persecuted. They are pushed down. They don't have any sort of favor in the public arena, the public sphere. This is definitely limited, and that is, that is on purpose. You know, they, they feel threatened by the rise of Christianity there. And so they do everything that they can to put that down. They, they jail pastors. They destroy churches. They come in and intimidate people. Same thing that the chief priests and the Pharisees are doing. The same thing that the other, other countries are doing. Right? They, they want their own power. 
They want their own glory. And they're going to get rid of anybody and anything, any system, any person that would take away from that. And so here's Jesus. And this is happening. This is happening in our day as well. Those in our day seek to do the same thing. And you know, that, that's because Jesus, Jesus either deserves our disdain or Jesus deserves our worship. Jesus is either this raving lunatic who came about talking that, that he was the Messiah, that he was the God-sent Savior, or Jesus truly is the Messiah, the God-sent Savior. There, there, is, there is no middle ground with Jesus. He's either a lunatic and we can write him off, or he's the God-sent Savior and we should worship him. There is no middle ground. There is no riding the fence. It's not like you can just say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus is the king, but you know, I'm going to go and do my own thing. I'm going to go and seek salvation in my own way. And if I need Jesus, then, then I'll call on him. That's, that's not how it works. You're either all in or you're not in at all. And so this is why people want to get rid of Jesus. But I believe we have good reason to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus truly is the God-sent Savior. And so instead of seeking to eradicate his name, what should we do? We should seek to glorify Jesus' name. We should seek to make his name famous. We should decrease so that Jesus might increase. We should worship and we should praise him. And when we are captivated by Jesus, these are the things that we will do. We will worship and we will praise him. The crowd, they were, they were captivated by Jesus, even though they were captivated by a slightly different Jesus than what they thought Jesus was. But we still see that the result was that they worshiped and they praised him. We know who Jesus truly is, that Jesus truly is the God-sent Savior. And so we should be driven to worship and to praise him. Now, just a, a note about worship. But worship goes beyond what we do here for a couple of hours on Sunday or, or what you are doing in your living room right now uh, for the last several months. Worship goes way beyond just hearing a, the word preached, and that is worship. Uh, worship goes beyond just singing some songs and, and praying, even though that is, that is worship. Worship is, is really us giving our entire life to Jesus. That what we do here is us responding to what Jesus has done. When we sing, we are, we are singing to glorify God. We are singing to exalt God. It is an outpouring of, of what He has done for us. It is an outpouring of our worship of Him. The worship is more than that. Worship is us living according to God's Word each and every single day. Paul makes this explicit in Romans chapter 12 when he tells us there in the first two verses that that we are to be a a living sacrifice and us being a living sacrifice is our reasonable service is our reasonable worship this is how we worship God by by truly allowing him to captivate us and by following him each and every single day by allowing Jesus to call the shots in our life by allowing him to set what our desires and our will and our wants to be, what our purpose in life should be, what, what meaning in life to us should be. These are the ways in which we worship Jesus. That's what it looks like for us to worship him. When we do that, when we allow him to guide and direct us, we are praising his name. When we witness to other people about who Jesus is and, and his power and the hope that he provides and the salvation he provides, then we are glorifying Jesus. When we tell other people 
how Jesus has changed our life, how he is working in our lives, when we are testifying to that fact, we are worshiping and we are praising Jesus. You see, when we do these things, that's what it looks like for us to worship Jesus. And those who are captivated by Jesus should praise and worship him instead of seeking their own glory. Thirdly, those who are captivated by Jesus, they should follow him instead of holding on to their own life. They should follow him instead of holding on into their own life. So in verse 20, we have the Greeks. These are not the Jews, but these are the Greeks. I mean, Gentiles. Gentiles are coming in search of Jesus. This is one of the promises that we see in the Old Testament, that, that Israel will be a light to the nations. And here is Jesus. He's coming. He's, he's fulfilling the role of Israel. He is the, the true and greater Israel. And he is drawing the nations into himself. And we see that right here. The Greeks are coming to Jesus. They're coming in, in search of Jesus. And, and Jesus uses this opportunity not only to, to send a message to them, but also to all of those who have lined the streets outside of the city with palm branches. Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so Jesus, in verse 23, he's answering the Greeks who have come, who have, who have sought him out, and he begins to tell everyone what is about to happen. Instead of riding into the center of town on this white war horse and this war chariot, Jesus was going to be taken out of the city gates and hung between heaven and earth for us. And Jesus was going to die. And, and this was not a surprise to Jesus. This should not be a surprise to us. This is Jesus' purpose for coming. This is God's purpose for the world. Before the foundations of the world, we are told that this plan has been set in purpose, has been set in motion. In Genesis 3.15, we learn that the serpent-crushing Messiah is going to come one day. And we see that, that he has finally come. See, Jesus is not God's plan B. Jesus is, is plan A. And, and, and God has moved time and space to make that happen. 
God has has written redemptive history in the way that he so desires so that we would get to this point right now where Jesus is about to give up his life for us so that we might experience eternal life, so that we might gain entrance into this eternal kingdom, so that God might restore this broken world in which we live in, the broken world we definitely know right now. We know that this world is broken. The entire earth, the entire world knows that the world in which we are living is broken. They know that they cannot control the broken world. Jesus has come to restore everything, to reconcile everything. He's come so that the ruler of this world, Satan, might be be cast out. He has come so that we might experience salvation. Not through physical strength, not through military might, but rather through humility and death. You see, Jesus came not as a conquering king, not in the way that we think, not in the way that the Jews think. Jesus has come as a conquering king who would lay down his life so that he might gain victory. Jesus came to die. And through his death, Jesus ends up conquering. Through his death, in a completely upside down way, his kingdom comes. Through his death, we are able to produce fruit. You see, those who are Jesus' disciples should follow his example. We have been given this opportunity to produce fruit. Jesus tells us that. That unless a seed falls into the ground, fruit will not be produced. Jesus has gone into the ground. Jesus has has died, yet He is resurrected. And all of us who are with Him, we would die with Him in His death and we would be resurrected to new life so that we might produce fruit. And those who are Jesus' disciples should do that. We should follow his example first. We should, we should live a cruciform life, which means that we should give up self for Jesus. Look at verse 25. He's pretty explicit about this. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So if you care about what the world thinks, well, you're going to lose eternal life. You may gain life in this world, you may gain fame, you may gain status, you may gain all of those things, but, but you're not going to gain eternal life. But, but, Jesus says, whoever hates his life in this world, you don't care about what the world thinks about you, in other words. You don't care about gaining fame, I mean, you may gain fame, but you don't care about that. That's not your, that's not your focus in life, that's not what you're after. You're not after riches and wealth and all of those things, and, and, and your own name being made great, if, that's you, Jesus says. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, if we are truly believers in Jesus, we will not only seek Jesus, we will not only believe that Jesus is our Lord and is and is our Savior, but we will follow Jesus. This is what separates true disciples from false disciples. True disciples, they actually follow Jesus. Those who just say, I'm a Christian, but they never live the Christian life, they never follow after Jesus at all, well, they need to, they need to reassess. 
They need to say, am I really a follower of Jesus? Because I'm not following him anywhere. You see, that's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't just mean that we believe. It doesn't just mean we have this intellectual knowledge of him. It, that belief actually springs us into action. Remember what James says, you know, faith without works is dead. And so it is not our works that earn us eternal life, but it is our works that spring out of the faith that we have in Jesus, out of the belief that we have in Jesus. And so those who are truly followers of Jesus, they actually follow him somewhere. They actually live how he lives. And so what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, following Jesus means we're willing to give up everything for Jesus. We give up our will, we give up our wants, we give up our desires, our position, our acceptance, our safety. Those who are followers of Jesus are willing to give up all of these things because this is what Jesus has given up. Those who are followers of Jesus actually follow Jesus in how he thought and how he acted. If you are not following Jesus in those ways, then you are not a follower of Jesus. You need to reassess your life. You need to look and say, am I truly a believer? If no following is coming out of that belief, then you need to reassess. And you need to look at Jesus for who he really is. Intellectual knowledge is not enough. We must allow it to affect our lives if we're going to call ourselves Christians. See, it's not good enough for companies these days to only provide goods and services. You, you look at companies these days and there's, there's all this moral posturing that takes place, right? You can't just, you can't just sell a product anymore. I mean, you, you've got to have a cause behind that product and you've got you've to put all of these things out, in so, out on social media. You've got to put out these values and these things that, that, that you think are going to win you business. And many people, they, they change their mind left and right on, on what values they should put out. And so just don't run after that. Don't run after somebody who just keeps trying to put out all these values that the world thinks are great values, the culture thinks are great values, because what they think today is not what they're going to think tomorrow. And those people 10 years ago who were putting out these certain values are now being disregarded by people in culture. See, the world is always changing, but, but this is the thing that the world wants to do, right? They, they've got to do this moral posturing. It's popular these days to say, you know, I want to be on the right side of history, whatever that means, right? The right side of history changes all the time. It's popular for people to say that. And as a result, you're going to find many companies, they're, you're not going to find many companies, excuse me, who stand for the traditional view of marriage. But those companies that are run by committed Christians will. Instead of allowing that, that cultural river to determine which way they're going to swim, swim, they're going to faithfully stand on God's rock like a rock, God's word like a rock in the middle of that streaming river. And despite all the cultural backlash, they will continue to follow Jesus. And that's what followers of Jesus do. They give up their life in this world. That's not mean they commit suicide or anything like that. No, it's talking about they give up our will, our wants, our desires. We live self-sacrificial lives to follow after Jesus every single day. As I just alluded to in that illustration, of course, this is going to cost us. Look at what Jesus 25 again. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so we have to choose. 
Do we want cultural approval? Do we want popularity? Do we want fame? Do we want wealth? Do we want all of these things? Do we want the world to look at us and say, man, they're an influencer. They're great to hold us up and have ceremonies for us. Or do we care more about holding Jesus up? Do we care more about glorifying Jesus? Do we care more about making his name famous and making our own name famous? This is what Jesus is saying. You've got to choose because you can't have it both ways. The world hated Jesus, and the world is going to hate us as well at times. It's not always the case. Not always in every area. But the world will. The world at large will hate us. And that's the choice we have to make. Jesus says we have to count the cost. And so we must count the cost. You see, those who are captivated by Jesus follow him instead of holding on to their own life. And these are the ways that those who are captivated by Jesus should live. But, but admittedly, going through this list and looking back through this, hopefully you've taken some notes, but looking back through this, you would see that this is not easy. This is not easy, especially when the rubber meets the road, when, when people are coming after you, when the people are coming after your business, when they're coming after your reputation in society, your money, your fame. When the rubber meets the road, this is, this is not easy to do at all. And coming to Jesus... Faithfully following him, giving all to him is not easy. And let me just say, I think that it's absolutely impossible without Jesus working in your life. And I think this is why as, as we continue to move into this post-Christian world that we live in now, and particularly as that begins to affect the Bible Belt, we're going to have a lot of cultural Christians moving out because they're only doing it for recognition. They're only doing it for their own benefit. But when, when that no longer benefits them, well, they're going to move out of the church. They're going to leave the church behind. They're going to prove who really was their true master, who they really were following in the first place. You see, it's not easy to, to completely follow Jesus. It is impossible to follow Jesus on our own accord. When the rubber meets the road and we are asked to absolutely follow Jesus or else, if we're truly not believers, if we're truly not followers of Jesus, we're not going to continue. We're going to walk away. And so we have to ask ourselves, what makes it possible for us to give all for Jesus and follow him wherever he leads us? What makes that possible? Because we, we know that it's impossible on our own accord. But what makes it possible? Well, let me just say, it's not you mustering the strength on your own. I mean, think about it. We are, we are social people. We are created to exist in relationships with other people, which means to, in one way or another, we care about what other people think. I mean, there are some people out there like, I don't, I don't care what other people think at all. They care about what other people think. Some people are just more vocal about it. Some people are just more, you know, you can tell more. But we all care about what other people think about us. We care at an individual level. We care at an organizational level. I mean, this is why, why companies are, are, you know, moral posturing out there in, in society. They're not just providing goods and services anymore. We are a social people. We care about what other people think. We're a selfish people. Deep down, we all want to be famous. We all want to be comfortable. We all want riches and success. And you could sit there and say, I don't want any of that stuff. You're lying. We all want those things. We're all a selfish people at heart. It's hard for us to die to self. We're rebellious people. 
We don't want anyone to tell us how we should live our lives. We are rebellious people. We want to call the shots. This is what got us in trouble in the first place, in the garden. We want to determine what is right and good. And oftentimes we slip back into that, even those who are believers. We want to call the shots in our life. We want to think that we know better than God. Because of these things and more. We don't all, always want to give up all to follow Jesus. We don't want to worship and, and submit to Him. At least we don't want to do these things on our own accord. And so how? What makes it possible for us to give all for Jesus and follow Him wherever He leads? Well, the Lord must give us eyes to see Jesus for who He truly is. He must soften our hearts. And this is what He's getting at in verses 37 through 43. Though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so, they, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Get this, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Without God first working in your life, we will continue. We will continue to love the glory that comes from man. We, we may even know that Jesus is the Savior, like these folks say here. But you know what? They're not willing to confess him. They're not willing to go all in with him. They're not willing to follow him. Because they know that's what that's going to cost them. You see, unless we are given eyes to see Jesus for who he really is, unless... God comes in and completely captures our heart so that we see nothing greater than Jesus in this entire world. We will not give all to Jesus. And so it's not about mustering our own strength. It's not about pulling up our bootstraps and saying, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to follow. No, it is about God working in your life. It is about God continuing to work in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit as you are continually refined and sanctified so that you will continue to follow Jesus day in and day out so that, as Paul talks about in his letters, you will cross the finish line. We don't cross the finish line on our own power. It's not about us and it's not about our own strength. Instead, it's about God working in our life from beginning to end. We will be glorified and we will reach that state and we will be able to give all to Jesus because of what God is doing in our lives. And today, then, if you would, if you would call yourself a believer, know that you're not a believer today because you are smarter because you were wiser, because you were more put together than the person down the street. No, you are a believer today because God has given you eyes to see Jesus as the light of this world. And knowing that, that, that you can see and knowing that you will continue to live for Jesus, that you will not walk away from Jesus because of the work that God does in your life should cause you to be even more captivated by him. 
Man, what is man that God should care about him? We have to ask ourselves that. Why? Why? Because God has worked in our life and that should cause us to be even more captivated. That should cause us to want to promote his glory instead of our own, to follow him wherever he leads us. Only in God's strength and because of his work are we able to truly see Jesus for who he is, the God sent savior who is worthy of us giving all for him. He is the only one who is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy. And in giving all, we will gain all. Verse 25 again. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Are you willing to give all for Jesus? Will you seek to make Jesus' name famous? Those who are captivated by Jesus allow him to lead them, to guide them, to consume them. Is this the Jesus that you know? Are you captivated by Jesus? If you are, man, give all to Jesus today. If Jesus, and if Jesus has not yet captivated you this way, pray. Pray that the Lord would give you eyes to see Jesus for who he is, the God sent Savior who is worthy of us to give all. Pray that the Lord would give you eyes to see Jesus as more valuable than anything in this world, anything that this world could ever offer you. If you're seeing Jesus, for the first time through those eyes today. Now is an opportunity for you to turn to Jesus. Now is an opportunity for you to repent of your unbelief. Now is the time for you to take your hands off of your life and to begin to follow Jesus in this way. Now is an opportunity for you to believe that Jesus is your Lord and is your Savior. See, the Bible says all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And so I implore you to turn to Jesus today, to believe in Jesus today, to begin to follow Jesus in a greater way today, to be willing to give all for Jesus, to be completely captivated by Jesus today. This is how those who are followers of Jesus live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he does for us. We thank you for the many ways in which he works in our life. We thank you for working in our life, God. We ask, Lord, that we would be more captivated today than we have ever been, that Jesus would come in and captivate our hearts. We would be drawn to him in a way that we have never been drawn to him before, and as a result, we would be willing to follow him in a way that we have never followed him before, Lord. Help us to see Jesus for who he really is. Give us those eyes to see Jesus in that way, God. To see him as more valuable than anything. Work in our lives so that we will continue to follow him. And work in the lives of those who do not know him, Lord. That they might come to see Jesus in that way so that they might follow Jesus as well. So that they might seek to make his name famous and to glorify him in this world above themselves. God, we put our faith and our trust in you today and we ask that you would work in our lives, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.